Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this leadership series where we're talking about eight qualities of great leaders. Hey, we all lead someone somewhere and we hope the quality that we talk about today will help you lead better tomorrow. Before you sign off, don't forget to check in at branchlife.church. We'd love to hear from you and stay to the end of this talk. I've got some more information before you go. I hope you enjoy today's leadership quality. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here. I add my voice to Chloe's voice. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch. And again, if this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we, we ask everyone every week to do the check-in through the cards. And so if you're a guest with us, the best way to do that is scan the QR, or you can physically fill out the form and put it in one of the offering boxes that are scattered around the building. And we're excited that we are finishing up our lead series today. So if it's your first time with us, you're here for the grand finale of the series. But don't worry, next week we're kicking off a brand new series. As we continue through the book of Nehemiah, uh, we'll continue on our book study and jump into a new series through that. Uh, we have a gift for you as a guest, and that's one of our Nehemiah journals. Take that with you. And if you're able to return, bring it back and follow along as we go through Nehemiah over the next several months uh, or just keep it with you as you go on your travels to wherever is next. I am so uh, encouraged by the feedback from this series. And our prayer has been throughout these past eight weeks that not only would you be sharpened in your leadership skills, but it would cause you as a leader, wherever you are leading, to lean on God in a whole new, fresh way, to do what only He can do through you. Here's what we are absolutely convinced of. We believe that every one of you has God-given influence to leverage for kingdom impact. Let me just say that a different way because we've said this phrase every week. In other words, there is something that God has for you to do that only you can do that will make an eternal difference. And that's, that's God's design on your life. That's his fingerprint intertwined with your fingerprint doing something that only the two of you can do together. And you guys are leading in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different places. So over the series, you may have heard me mention this from time to time. I've been praying for marriages. And I've been praying that God would, would encourage husbands and wives to lead well in their marriage. I've been praying for families as, as parents lead their kids closer to the Lord. I've been praying for farmers, right? And what, does farmer take leadership? Yeah. Have you ever tried to control a cow, right? Like there's all kinds of stuff out there. And I, I've, I've been praying for business leaders and for entrepreneurs. I, I've been praying for our small group leaders and our ministry team leaders through all of this. I've been praying for some of you that are still exploring faith, that God would lead you into a relationship with him because that's obviously going to make an impact on eternity. And there's probably dozens and dozens of other examples that we could use about how you're leading in the classroom, uh, uh, whether you're leading on the field. And God wants to take your unique position in your unique chapter of life and use it for kingdom impact. There's a world out there that needs Jesus. And, and you have him to give. Now, wherever you're leading, 
you understand, and I, I hope you realize this, and today we're going to close with this thought, that whatever call, God calls you to do, it's not going to be easy. Do you remember the moment where you first, parents, held your firstborn child, right? And you're holding this, this baby, and you go, I got some work to do, right? <laughs> like, like, I got to keep it alive, yeah? Got to keep it quiet, because that's an annoying noise, right? Got to keep it clean, Yeah? And so now it's got to raise up to be a self-sufficient adult that's going to be able to care for their own kids someday. Man, that's a, that's a job. That's a task. If you've ever started a business or a company, uh, you realize at some point that you have to file the appropriate paperwork to be recognized as a, the appropriate company in the legal system. Let, I remember when we were starting Branch Life Church before we had worship services, and, and yes, a church can exist before worship services. A church can exist before it's legal because a church is not worship services. A church is not a building. A church is people of God on mission for God, right? So we are the church, but we still had to legally become recognized. And so we submitted all the paperwork and the guy that was helping us do that said, you are getting an EIN number, right? And for those of you that have done nonprofits and businesses, you know what that is. I didn't know what that was. And the guy looked at me, he handed me the number, he goes, this is a very important number. Do not lose this number. I'm like, man, I can't even remember my phone number, let alone what this is, right? Like, so I have guarded that number, I've handed it to other more responsible people. Why? Because it's like holding the newborn baby, and all of a sudden I'm like, we got some work to do, right? We got we to gotta do this thing that God's asking us to do. With the family, with the church, with the business, with the team, whatever it might be. Now at that wedding day, right, when your marriage kicks off or the day you're holding the baby on their first birth, the day of their birth, it's, you, you, you know there's work ahead, but at, at that moment you are just so full of hope and love that it doesn't matter. But at some point, something's going to go wrong. And what separates influential leaders from leaders who fail is how they handle the pressure points or the trouble points of their journey. And today, as we look at the story of Nehemiah, if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 4, if you have your journals, it's page 18. In Nehemiah chapter 4, it's the first really part of the story where we all go, uh-oh, right? Like, something's wrong. And Nehemiah, to this point, God has been doing amazing things. Like, he has given him permission from the king to go build the wall. He has all the stuff that he needs. He's moved to his brand new free house from the king. He's got 60 team leaders that we learned about last year that are all built, last week, that are all building the wall. And it's like, wow, 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 wow. Chapter 4 is like, whoa. And in chapter 4, the trouble that inevitably comes hit. So if you have your, if you have your Bibles, chap, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. I apologize in advance for these people's names I will butcher. Now, Sanballat, <laughs> Sanballat, it just looks right, right? Like, I have no idea if that's even close. Now, when Sanballat had heard they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, right? That's, that's pretty angry. Like, that man was upset. He was, he was upset as I was watching the Phillies game. And he jeered, at, I know, right? I am done with red. I'm done. I'm wearing autumn today, not red. Stupid Phillies. 
forgive me. I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm discontent in this moment, and I'm not okay with it. All right, starting back over. Now, when Sam Ballard heard they were building the wall, I'm not even watching the World Series. I get so upset. <laughs> like, I could care less who, so what? Okay. I don't need the stress in my life. All right. Now, when Sam Ballard heard they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged like every Phillies fan. He jeered at them. He said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Will they receive the stones at the top of the rubbish and the burned ones at that? And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes on it, will it break the wall, right? If, if this is the best jeers that they got, they need to work on that for a little bit, but okay. Verse 4, hear, O God, our prayer. And this is what Nehemiah responded to the enemies. Turn back their taunts on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sins be blotted from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. This is, this is that moment, right, where all of a sudden Nehemiah is trying to get something done. But then all of the neighbors, everybody next door was like, we don't like this. And they started to come after the Jews. They started to come after Jerusalem. They started to come after Nehemiah. And they started verbally with bad Yelp reviews, right? Like they were just going to tear down their reputation. They were going to taunt them. They were going to mock them. Noah went through the same thing when he was building the ark. Everyone was pointing at him. What's a boat? Why are you building it? You're a moron, right? So that's what was happening with Nehemiah. And it got so loud and so aggressive that Nehemiah actually prayed to God and said, God, take him away. Let him get captured. Like get rid of him. Like this is, this is hard. This is difficult. This is a problem. And what we're going to see in Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is going to teach us a very, a very valuable trait for any leader that you must have if you're going to have any success with God's help in your marriage, in your home, in your, in your business, or in your church. And this, this is what he teaches us. He teaches us that we are supposed to keep calm, trust God, and carry on. We're supposed to keep calm, trust God, and carry on. Obviously, I'm playing a little bit on the UK's Keep Calm and Carry On poster. That poster was created at the beginning of the World War, right? And, and, and uh, the UK was going to get bombed. And so what they did is they put out millions of these posters in preparation for the attack to tell all of their people, all their citizens, to keep calm and carry on. And, and we'll figure it out from there. Sure enough, the bombardment came and... And a hundred years ago, right, and all these papers were destroyed, and nobody even remembered that they existed until 2000. In the year 2000, in an old bookstore, hanging on the wall in the back was an original poster that was handed out before the bombardment with the crown on the top, and it said, keep calm, carry on. And for years, that was thought to be one of the only posters that actually survived, but it spurred this movement, right, where there's memes, and there's posts, and there's all kinds of of catchphrases and, and, and uh, branding opportunities where people are saying, keep calm, carry on. In 2012, a lady came to the Antiques Roadshow and she brought a, a 12 keep calm, carry on posters. She says, I don't know if these are worth anything or not, but I just have these posters and it looks like they're really popular. And it became, they became the, the one of only some of the 15 only known to exist that were original posters from before the war. Now, if I could reinterpret that based on Nehemiah chapter 4. I've obviously added an idea to it. How can we keep calm and carry on when bombs are dropping on our head, right? Easier said than done. 
How can I keep calm and carry on when every single one of my neighbors is coming after me? How can I keep calm and carry on when that diagnosis is terminal? How can I keep calm and carry on when my bank account is wiped out? How can I keep calm and carry on when I'm the only one fighting for this marriage? How can I keep calm and carry on when my kids are walking away from everything that I've trained them to to follow? How can I keep calm and carry on? Well, the key for an influential leader is to trust God. Now, let's unpack that for a moment. Nehemiah, in this chapter, was getting taunts from his enemies. And what was his reaction? His reaction is one of the smoothest, calmest, best reactions you've ever seen in trouble. And he says it in verse 6. So what did we do? So we built the wall, (laughs) right? They're mocking us. They're making fun of us. They're coming after us. And my reaction was to build the wall, to do what God had called us to do. Their words meant nothing. I am supposed to do what God's calling me to do. I'm going to keep calm and carry on. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. He kept calm. Here's what I I was reminded of this week. No matter where you're leading, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, what the Lord is asking you to do, there will always be enemies. There will always be enemies. There will always be enemies in your marriage. There will always be enemies of, of, of a Christian home. There will always be enemies who are trying to cut your profit so they can make more profit. There will always be someone trying to steal your identity. There will always be scams. There will always be people that are, are working against you. There will always be enemies. You can bank on it as a leader. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that just because you're a Christian, you will be persecuted. People will taunt you for your faith. People will mock you. They will avoid you. They will underestimate you. They will, they will uh, 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 tear you down simply because you have a faith in God and that you've decided to follow Jesus. Persecution will come. It is a guarantee. And what Nehemiah demonstrates to us and what God has taught us For an influential leader, when we are in the presence of an enemy, our response should be a response of calmness. We should keep calm. But that's easier said than done. Look at a couple of enemies that showed up in the Bible. The most famous enemy in the Bible besides Satan himself is Goliath, right? Everybody knows Goliath. Goliath was a jerk, right? He worked for the Philistines. He wanted to destroy the nation of Israel. He put himself out in the battlefield and said, I will fight any one of you at any time, winner take all. And he had nobody who would accept that challenge. Why? Because every single one of them said, look at the size of that guy. He is massive. That Goliath is huge. I don't think any one of us has any business trying to defeat him. And when enemies show up in our lives, a lot of times that's our response. Look at the size of that guy. Look at the problem that we have in front of us. This is impossible to deal with. Then in Nineveh, right, Nineveh, this was another major bad guy in the Bible. The story of Jonah is one, uh, is one of, of big reversals. And in the story of Jonah, you're introduced to Nineveh as a wicked nation. And Nineveh was so bad because they were conquering people and they were 
extremely violent, extremely aggressive, extremely lethal, and extremely deadly. They had no regard for human life. They were known for the way that they would butcher whole, whole communities and whole nations. And, and Jesus, excuse me, God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, oh, you want me to go to Nineveh? Great. And he went the other way, right? Like he's out. He's gone. He's not going to do it. Why? Because Jonah said, look at that dangerous city. Look at that dangerous city. There's evil there. There's, there's trouble there. There's problems there. It's really bad. Another bad guy in scripture was Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of the world at the time, was in For the sake of our story, he was propping himself up not only as the king, not only as the emperor, but as a god. And he put up a giant gold statue of himself. Who does that kind of thing, right? Nebuchadnezzar does. And he made everybody worship that statue because he was God. And if you didn't worship the statue, he would erase you. And he was so powerful that he could, with a word, with a thought, with a snap of his fingers could eliminate your life and your memory from the known earth. And the way that he did that back in his day is he threw people into the fiery furnace. That was his style of execution. And so if you didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar, you would go to the fire. And so everybody who was scared of this ginormous, powerful king said, oh, look out for the fire. All of these enemies were coming after, God, were coming after them And everybody was freaking out. The Israelites were freaking out. Jonah was freaking out. The captives were freaking out. Because look how big those enemies are. But what a difference it makes when you're able to, even in the presence of an enemy, not freak out. One of my favorite stories to tell, and I've told it here before, so I won't go into it in detail. But if you haven't heard the story, you and I need to sit down and and go over it. Because it involves one of my favorite moments with, with Pastor Scott. Not favorite. Favorite's not the right word. One of my most memorable moments with Pastor Scott. There were seven or eight of us that were running around. And I, again, I won't go into details. In college. And we were all hanging out, having a great time. And Pastor Scott, Scott at the time, tripped and fell while running down a hill. And he landed face first on pavement. Now, again, I can go into way more detail. Because it's worth it, right? I need to tell you the whole story. Now, the seven or eight of us that were there, we had two different reactions to, the, to this problem. Half of us freaked out. Ah, look at the blood. Oh, my word. He's going to die. I don't know what to do. You start running around in circles. The other half went immediately into a step-by-step process, right, of figuring out what we need to do and how we need to handle it and how to hold his head and get a towel and call 911 and, and, and make sure he's got a pulse and, and, like, the blood didn't bother him, the trauma didn't bother him, Scott's mindless speaking didn't bother them, like, like all that was going on there, like, we're going to just get, figure this out. After it was all done and, and over, the, the, the group got back together and we marveled at each other and we said, what made the difference? Why could some of us stay calm while the rest of us were freaking out. How do you, how do, you do that? How, how do you stand in the, in the face of a, of a giant or in the middle of a dangerous city or stand when everyone else is kneeling to a, a human god? How do you do that? How do, how do you fix that marriage? How, how do you uh, overcome that business problem? How, how do you lead that classroom? How do you raise those kids? How do you do that? 
Well, you, you step one, you keep calm. But I'm not really good at keeping calm, Pastor Josh. Give me, give me, the, give me the secret that Nehemiah knew that, that we don't know. And here it is. The difference between someone who keeps calm versus someone who freaks out is simply this. It's hard to keep calm when people are big and God is small. It is hard to keep calm when people are big and God is small. What happens in every one of our lives, in every area of leadership, is the enemy comes. We have a choice in that moment to either overemphasize that enemy or put him in the right place. And for so many of us, the enemy, the problem, the danger, whatever it might be, becomes so all-consuming that we can't see anything else. And the moment that that happens, you're going to freak out. They're dropping bombs on my head. I don't know what to do. That person is so huge. That, danger, that city is so dangerous. That means that you've made that person, that problem, bigger than your God. The key is going to be making God bigger than that person. And Nehemiah demonstrates this to us in the rest of the chapter. Watch what he said. He said, first, I'm going to keep calm. We're going to keep building the wall. Obviously, the problem didn't just go away because he turned back to work. In verse 7, he says this, but when, when Sanballat and Tobiah the, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, right, so everybody, heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem and it was going forward and that the holes were being fixed, they were very angry, verse 8, and they all plotted together, right? They had a coalition, an axis of evil that was coming after them to fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion. And so Nehemiah says, we prayed to our God, we set a guard to protect, uh, to protect us day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, right? So now rumors are going out that the, the Jerusalem is weak. There's too much rubble, and by ourselves, we'll not be able to rebuild the walls. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come along and kill them to stop the work. So we're going to do a surprise attack. We're going to spread rumors. We're going to actually show up. We're going we're to murder the whole crew in chapter 12. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came down from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So now even their allies are saying, get out of there. You got to get out of there. So in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the walls and the open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, here, circle this verse, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we, first we see that the enemies will always come. The second thing that we learn is not only will the enemies always come, trouble will always come. And how did Nehemiah react to the enemies and to the troubles? He said this, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers. In other words, make God big. Make God bigger than your problem. Make God bigger than your enemies. Make God bigger than your trouble. We are going to put God in his proper place. When God is big and people are small, you're able to keep calm. And so what do we do in this next section? Well, when trouble comes, we trust our God. Why? Because he's massive. David didn't see the size of Goliath. David saw the size of our God. Amen. 
Jonah finally realized something about God that he had to learn the hard way. When God called him to the middle of the dangerous city, he went the other way. And what did God do? God sent a storm. God sent a fish that kept Jonah alive underwater for three days. That fish parked Jonah on the land next to Nineveh, right? Talk about a navigation system. Then, then Jonah comes out of the fish and he does something that's astonishing. He then walks to the middle of the city where they murder people for fun and he says to them, you are evil and wicked and you must repent. Why in the world would Jonah do that? Because he realized the size of his God. Jonah learned that God was in charge of the land and the seas. That all of creation obeys God. So that I, then Jonah, in the presence of God, can do the dangerous thing. Can do the hard thing. My God is bigger than this one city. Than this one problem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand when everyone else knelt to the golden God of Nebuchadnezzar. And when they stood, he did what he did to everyone who, who rejected him. He threw them in the fire. And what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learn in the fire? They learned that God was there. You see, God didn't save them from the fire. He walked them through the fire. And no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what trouble comes, our great and awesome God has made this promise. I will be with you. I will be with you. Why does that matter? Because look at the size of our God. Because he is in charge of the land and the sea. And if that's the guy that's with me, I don't need to freak out. It's all already taken care of. God's already got it done. He's going to walk with me and guide me. And I can trust him in the end. When the business is in turmoil, when the enemies are throwing barbs at me, when I'm under persecution, when my kids are not reacting in the right way, when our marriage is at our lowest, God can get it done. So I'm going to trust in him. When I trust in God, I'm able then to keep calm. You know, for some of you, the issue with trusting God is that you have never put your faith fully in God. You see, salvation is at its core a trust. And when you decide to, to make God your savior, you're saying simply this, I'm no longer trusting myself, I am now trusting God. In just a couple of minutes between these services, we're going to baptize four people. We're going to do it downstairs in the cafe, and you have my permission to be as loud as possible when they come up out of order. Why? Because we love baptisms. Like it's one of our favorite days. Baptism doesn't save you. Following Jesus does. Trusting Jesus does. Baptism is a demonstration that you have put your faith in Jesus, that your old self is now buried under the water and brought back new. That you have new life in Christ. When I get saved, I'm saying I cannot, my old self can't save me. I need a new life that can only come from God. Now I'm saved. Now when I decide to follow, going to church doesn't save you, following Jesus does, right? Reading your Bible doesn't save you, following Jesus does. Doing a sacrament or being religious doesn't save you, following Jesus does. Work doesn't save you, following Jesus does. And when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, man, there's big things that are going to happen. 
So some of you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus. And here's my prayer. For those of you that have been investigating faith for a long time, for those of you that might be hearing this for the first time, you can today get saved. You can today ask Jesus to be your Savior, and he will give you new life. In this moment, you can be born again. Here's how you do that. You simply bow your heart and have a conversation with God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again for me. That's a miracle. And I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to accept the free gift of salvation. If you do that today, that's the first leadership step that's going to make an eternal difference for you because it means forever with God in heaven. And maybe today is the day you need to accept Jesus. And if you haven't done that yet, you can talk to one of our prayer team members after the service right here in the front or go online to the gospel tab and do some business with God. And for you, if you've not yet become a follower of Jesus, that's, that's what I want you to hear today. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus... I have an interesting observation from, from this trust God section that I think is super important for us. We're supposed to keep calm, trust God, and carry on. And that's hard to do when people are big and God is small. But when God is big and people are small, man, the sky's the limit. And that's absolutely true. But notice what Nehemiah did in this passage. He, A, trusted God. He prayed. He was calm. But he also took some very important strategic steps. He made what we call in the business world a pivot, right? And he stationed guards. He armed people with very, very strategic instruments of war. And he put them in places that would protect the rest of the nation. Why did he do that? Because that's what God was leading him to do. And even people of faith, let me, let me, let me say this very clearly. Even people of faith should still seek, seek shelter in the storm. Even people of faith should still keep sh seek shelter in the storm. I was at a music festival with about 70,000 of my friends. And we were listening to concerts out in this open field on a hillside. And after one of the concerts, they brought a speaker out. He was doing a great job encouraging the, the crew, talking about some really hard things. But while he was speaking, we could see behind the platform that the, the weather was changing. And a storm was rolling in. It was one of those storms where on one side it was bright and sunny. On the other side it was dark and dangerous. There was a clear line in the sky. So a front was moving through. And the weather app started going off. And we were right, getting ready to be hit by the red radar, right? And there were lightning strikes that you could start seeing happening. Well, where are you not supposed to be, right, when it's lightning? You're not supposed to be in the middle of a field surrounded by a big metal stage. So... So what happened was the, the organizers of the concerts came out, they stopped the speaker, and they said, we're going to ask everyone to please leave the field and to go seek shelter immediately, to which the speaker responded, Do you, don't you dare leave. He said, if you have enough faith, then God will protect you. No reason to leave. I am here to preach the gospel. And that storm is from Satan. He started saying this. Now, I'm a youth pastor, and I've got about 50 teenagers that are all standing in the storm with me. I'm responsible to their parents to keep them alive. And he has just said to me, ignore all of that and stand in the, in the field. He has said to me, ignore the giant clouds that are coming over and the lightning that you can literally see and stay in the field. He said to me, Ignore the supervisors and the God-given authority that's over you and disobey them and stay in the field. Who am I supposed to go with? 
Am I supposed to go with the speaker that's told me not to go? Or all of those other things. And what we do as people of faith sometimes is we're told that we can pick up a poisonous snake and it will not kill us if you have enough faith. And let me tell you right now, that's a lie. That is not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that God gives us wisdom and insight for a reason. He's given you eyes to see and ears to hear. He's given Nehemiah the information that he needs to have the correct response. The spies brought him the information that they were going to attack, so he posts guards. And people of faith should still seek shelter in the time of the storm. We don't just blindly move forward and saying, hey, we got a blanket of faith, nothing bad can happen to us. No, that's ignoring the very voice of God that says there's a storm coming and it's time to take shelter. And so when you take shelter, sometimes that's the most faithful thing you can do. And business leader, you're sometimes going to have to pivot and change. And ministry leader, you're going to sometimes have to adjust and have some wisdom calls. And it is okay, it is absolutely okay to seek medical treatment for a diagnosis that you got. Why? Because even people of faith should still take shelter in the storm. God's given us doctors and medicine for a reason. Yes, you should go to counselors and therapy. And all of those things are needed and necessary. Why? Because God uses all of those things in our lives. And so leaders, part of trusting God is, is asking him to give you direction and wisdom and then taking those wisdom steps. Protect yourself. Take the course of action that seems right. And God makes this promise. If you love me, all things will work together for good. Amen. The story is not over until it's good. And so God is in the business of doing what he's going to do through you, even in the midst of the storm. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, we see some incredible verses of scripture. They kept building the wall, and he said, remember God. And so if you're a person of faith, how can I trust God more, even in the storm, even as I'm taking shelter? What can I do? And let me just emphasize here one very important point. That's what worship is all about. Worship helps us remember the greatness of our God. And in the time of shelter, you can worship. When you're being attacked, you can worship. And we need to gather together regularly, each and every week as a matter of fact, in our homes, in our small groups. And we need to worship God together. Why? Because we need to be reminded that God is big and people are small. In Nehemiah chapter 15, as we close out this section, it says that God had frustrated their plans. So we returned to the wall and each to his own work. What we see at the end of all of this through this first dangerous moment, what the result was, was they were calm in the face of danger. They, they trusted God and made the appropriate changes in worship to him. And then they simply carried on. They simply carried on. There will always be work to do. And what we don't want to do is stop the kingdom impacting work that God has called us to do. That we must continue to carry on. So when David steps out and he says, look at the size of my God, not the size of the giant. He was able to defeat a giant with just five little stones and a sling. He was able to conquer the unconquerable. Jonah stood in the middle of a city and he brought revival to the most wicked nation on the planet. Unbelievable. My prayer is for those missionaries that are going to the hard places on earth right now. And they're talking to the gospel. And why do I know they can do it? Because God is big and people are small. 
And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were able to survive the fire and change the world. King Nebuchadnezzar declared to the entire emperor, to the entire world, that the true God, the one true God, was the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they were able to say, God walked with us through the fire, and because of his presence, we can go change the world. They carried on with the work that God had called them to do. Listen to this, leader. Listen to this, husband. Listen to this, mom. Listen to this, teenager, grandparent, business owner, farmer, entrepreneur, teacher, team leader. Anything is possible when you are under God's protection. Anything is possible when you are under God's protection. So what do we do to keep calm and carry on? We put ourselves in the center of the will of God. We obey him. We follow him. We worship him. We get rid of the things we know we're not supposed to do. We don't rely on substances or, or smoking to calm our nerves. We don't need, we don't need to go out and, and, and get away from everybody and everything just so we can survive the day and the moment. No, we need more of God. We need to put ourselves in the presence of God. We need to put ourselves in the person of God. And when you are under God's protection, anything is possible. Your marriage can be alive and well again. Your, your kids can turn and follow Jesus. Your business can explode for the kingdom of God. Your team can multiply and grow and serve and love. Anything is possible when you're under the protection of God. And as we've been talking together over the course of this series, I hope that you have been encouraged in some small way to say, hey, I can make a difference for the kingdom of God. Yes, you can. Because anything is possible when you're under the protection of God. You, you can do it. And no matter if trouble comes, keep calm, trust God, and carry on. And this is the day, even a day with enemies, this is the day, even a day with trouble, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Keep calm, trust God, and carry on. If this series has been an encouragement to you in any way, I'd love to hear that. Let us know what you've been challenged with. Tell us a story about what God has done in your week and in your family or in your business. And let us know which one of these stood out to you and, and spoke to you in your season of life and in your chapter in a special way. We talked over these eight qualities of influential leaders. They see a need and they have a heart that cares. They pray and pray again. They turn problems into opportunities, make the big ass look before they lead, multiply leaders and stay calm and carry on. And, and when this, has, this, need, when this is, speaks to you, that means God's giving you what you need in this season, in this chapter. Let us know by, by filling out your connection card. And on that card, you can tell us the story. You can give us the prayer request. And you, you can give us the feedback that we have. And here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do next. Join us next week. Because we're going to jump into a series that's going to continue on right in Nehemiah chapter 4 called Good Works. And let me emphasize it the right way. Good Works. Good makes a difference. And we're going to talk about how we can make a difference together as we lead up to the holiday season. And I promise that, that God wants to do great things through the Branch Life Church family and friends. Will you bow your heads with me? God and Heavenly Father, as we travel through the series, could, would you bring to remembrance the stuff from the series that needs to stay with us? God, would you help us talk about it at our dinner tables, at our small groups, in, in our in our car rides and, and on the golf course. God, would you give us uh, the ability to, to grow and sharpen one another 
I pray for every leader in this room, wherever they are leading, whether they're leading a large team or even just themselves, whether they're leading at home or they're leading a ministry. God, I pray that you would sharpen them and use them for their greatest impact potential for the kingdom of God. And Lord, I know that we live in a, a hard and difficult and troubled world, and it's a world that needs Jesus. So in all of these areas that you have us in, would you help us to lead people to the great person of Jesus Christ? Even this week, God, would you give us the opportunity to speak Jesus into hearts and minds? Would you save our ones and that we would be able to repeat over and over again the baptism moments that we're about to celebrate? We thank you for these that are getting baptized today. Lead others to do the same. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, I hope that that was an encouragement to you. I hope the quality we talked about today will help you be a better leader tomorrow. And before you log off, we'd love to connect with you. The best way to do that is to go to branchlife.church and check in. You can also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or to follow us online. Wherever you are connected, we'd love to connect with you. We hope to see you next time as we dive deeper into leadership. Have a great rest of your day.